Welcome to MGO Radio 9.10. We're 9. Who nine. cares? 9. 9. 9.9. That's what we do. That's how we do it. We get our numbers all mixed up because they're uh, different podcasts. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're here and we're here and we have to talk about the signs again to start. So the current situation is that yesterday, Michigan, the Wednesday, Michigan delivered a response to the Big Ten. Yesterday, that letter became public. It's up on the site. Um, Our local lawyer guys think that it's a very good letter. I've read it. It seems pretty compelling. After that letter was published, we start getting chatter coming out from the Big Ten that was supposed to act Thursday. They do not act Thursday. They may act today, but if they act today, it's a court holiday. It is the day before the Penn State game. If they try to suspend Jim Harbaugh at this point, it seems likely that a court will give Michigan a temporary restraining order just based on the timing without even considering the arguments. Right. So, <laughs> the Big Ten has backed itself into a corner here, and we'll see where it goes. Now, other than the legal wrangling, nothing really has happened since. So there's no more Connor Stallions revelations except for the vacuum thing, which isn't relevant. There's no more these teams changed exchange signs stuff coming out. The Feldman article that uh, I was hopeful would be useful was about wakey leaks, which Mm. doesn't really seem very useful. And really the only thing that's happened is that um, local sports talk radio brought on a golf guy who said that Michigan can prove that nine other Big Ten teams were doing off-campus scouting like Connor Stallions. And the number one rule of following <laughs> any sports scandal is if it's local sports talk radio, it's not true. <laughs> yeah. The WTKA <laughs> MGO podcast. You TK, know, uh, yeah, yeah. TK Sam, Sam is an exception. But right. If you're talking about... <laughs> Like just random sports talk guys, they never break news. They always come up with some crazy stuff that they say has a source. It's never true. Mm-hmm. So if you're banking your hopes on that, I would not bank your hopes on it. And so now we're just in a standoff. The <clears throat> the Big Ten is likely to act, I would say, next week at this point. And that's all that there really is to it. Yeah. I mean, what's unfortunate oh. is that we're out of time now for, let's say it was going to end up with like a two-game suspension. Now it's going to affect Ohio State. But it won't because Michigan, I just can't conceive of a judge looking at what the Big Ten apparently sent to Michigan and what the Michigan sent to the Big Ten and landing on the side of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that you can do from this letter is infer what was sent to Michigan because they say that the four pieces of evidence that Michigan was sent were uh, a link to some sort of public post of the video in it that had been taken down (laughs) a video called something like stallions versus Penn state, which shows nothing at all. And like, it really feels like they took the tweets from Ohio state fans who were like, Oh my God, Connor stallions is standing next to the defensive coordinator and saying words. And they were like, that's enough. Right, that's enough evidence. It, like the stuff that the that that Ohio State fans are finding online and posting on Twitter, like that's that that's what it sounds like they're talking about. Which right, is, and so without some without some sort of actual presentation of real evidence, the Big Ten can't do anything. And it's possible they would take the next week and actually like do something not incompetent. <clears throat> but given what we've seen to date. I don't think that's likely. I don't think that it's likely that Fox is going to stand by and say that Jim Harbaugh, it's fine if he's not on the sidelines for the Michigan-Ohio State game. I just don't think that's going to happen. Like for like right now, it's good for them because it's like, oh, like the Penn State game is going to do bonkers ratings. Mm-hmm. And the Ohio State game will do bonkers ratings. But if Jim Harbaugh isn't there, they're going to be like, you're dampening our product here. What are you doing? And I don't even think they're going to try. Like, if I had to guess, what I would guess happens is that nothing happens until Monday. Then on Monday, they basically punt it to the NCAA, maybe issue a fine because you can't 
temporarily restrain it a fine because it's not something that would cause you immediate harm. And then Michigan will probably take the Big Ten to court and they'll settle. If I had to guess, which I right. do not, but I'm guessing anyway, that's what I would guess is the resolution of that. All right. Now let us turn to Penn State. Penn State Nittany Lions are the best team Michigan has played this year. We'll play this year. Well, never mind. We'll play this they year. The, we'll play that. They're the, they're the biggest <laughs> challenge Michigan has faced to date by some distance because right. they have an absolutely elite defense, one that <clears throat> ranks in the top five in most categories from regular stats to fancy stats. They basically held Ohio State in check except for Marvin Harrison Jr. They have crushed just about everyone except Indiana for some reason. Um, and they bring an absolute boatload of talent to Ann Arbor. Alex, yeah, do we want to do we want to start offense or defense? Defense. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a really good unit. I'm <sighs> mildly skeptical of every team's defense in the Big Ten because <laughs> I just don't respect anybody's offense. But <laughs> no doubt, among all all the defenses in the Big Ten, this is right near the top. Um, a really good unit. We can start defensive line. Um, the edge rusher position is probably their one of their specialties. We sounds like uh, Chop Robinson's going to play in this game. He's a really talented pass rusher, but even beyond him, uh, Addison Isaac and Danny Dennis Sutton, a former five star who's really grown up. Those are three players they can all mix in there, as well as uh, Vanover. So that's really four guys that they like, uh, well, much they like also, Michigan. They also sent Carter a ton. He's got eighty some rush snaps this year and he also grades out very well so they they you you noticed in your breakdown that on passing downs they go with three edges and two linebackers as their front right yep that's that's like their third and long set so uh they go to that on third and long they also on standard downs are not uncommon to see them drop one of the edges and then rush a linebacker manny diaz loves to have either Abdul Carter or Curtis Jacobs rush the passer. And you do get corner blitzes from time to time as well. This is a pretty blitzy uh, defense in general. They like to create havoc. We had them at about 40% uh, rushing more than four players against Ohio State. And it wasn't like a Purdue style where they're rushing five because there's five linemen. They like to bring guys from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, they're a very standard 4-2-5 nickel um, on non-passing downs and they will put a linebacker in if you go big so that's going to be a choice michigan has to make because their their nickel daquan hardy is the fifth year players um he's not elite but he is pretty good and the one thing from the their perspective is he's five nine <clears throat> and so i don't think he can play colson loveland if you put colson loveland in the slot but do you want to flip your nickel outside probably not but then their linebackers are all kind of just guys in coverage. So to me, it feels like two tight end sets sort of stress out Penn State because you're making a choice between bringing in a guy who's you know just average in coverage trying to cover a Colston Loveland or an A.J. Barner, or you're going to be light against Michigan's front. That feels like a potential area where Michigan could have an advantage, especially because Penn State just hasn't played teams that go that heavy very much this year. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State played mostly with one tight end. Every so often they went to two tight ends, but those were almost all rushing plays. So didn't get a lot of evidence from that game. One thing I'll say about the linebacker coverage, in the Ohio State game, the only linebacker coverage plays that were really noticeable <laughs> were plays where the linebacker was responsible in man coverage chasing a crossing route. And so you got several snaps of Abdul Carter trying to chase down Marvin Harrison Jr. on a crossing route that looked a lot like Don Brown of the past, especially <laughs> in the horseshoe, reminiscent of a certain game. But Oh, thank um, you, Alex. Thank you. That's exactly what we want to be thinking about right now. Well, you did note that they ran a lot of cover one, right? So this is not did, per yeah. Purdue defense when it comes to coverage. But Michigan has been facing mostly zones against overmatched teams, and this is a team that wants to man you up, wants to run those five-man blitzes. And I think one of the key questions in this game is, can the corners keep up with Roman Wilson? Now, 
going into the season, you would have been like, yeah, sure, Kalen King, whatever. And, you know, one of the revelations from your post, Alex, was that King doesn't really seem to be having that, like, send-off first-round pick year. Yeah, it's a little odd. The My expectation coming into the piece was that he was going to struggle against Marvin Harrison Jr. because that was my memory from the game. But what I actually found in doing the research was a lot more concerning than just that because Kalen King did get cooked by Marvin Harrison Jr. The fact they tried to get him to man up seemed like the first red flag in that situation. But the problem in the game for King is that even when they rotated him onto other guys, he really didn't do well. Like Julian Fleming in that game, who is not really a star for Ohio State, the receiver position, when he was matched up on Johnny Dixon or, or Daquan Hardy, didn't notice him. I don't think he had a single catch against either of those guys. And then he had two plays where he just carved up Kalen King in man coverage. So that was pretty concerning. And then you look at the PFF grades, most of his games this season, he's been below 60 in coverage. And he's got, I think, a 53 average coverage grade, which is far from what you'd expect when you're looking at a first-round potential corner. And his season grade is by far the worst of any Penn State defender that gets real usage. I don't know what's going on there. I was a huge fan of him coming into this season. And it's, I don't know what's, I don't know what happened to him. But it'll be interesting to see how they use him in this game against Michigan. Yeah, I just want to make a distinction between pro football-focused grades of about 63 to 64 and what Kalen King is getting. Because when yep. you're at 63 or 64, frequently, not frequently, but occasionally what that means is nobody targets you, so you don't get a grade. Like, like Michigan safeties. Yeah, like Michigan safeties, are they're the worst-graded players on Michigan's defense, but they're at 64 because they don't have any plays where they're on the screen. Yes. So for Kalen King to be at 53 means he is getting graded, and he is getting graded poorly. The only game all year where he actually turned in a positive pro football focus grade was UMass. So Indiana, not so much. Maryland, not so much. So you got to feel like if Michigan gets Roman Wilson matched up on Kalen King and man coverage, it's, it might look a little bit like the Penn State, I mean, the Purdue game. Not as bad, probably, but King is grading out about where those corners were grading out. So if that is something that translates into the Michigan game, that could be a, a game-breaking sort of deficiency. Because if you look at the rest of the Penn State defense, they really don't have any other holes. Yeah. No, there are not a lot of weaknesses on this defense. And I'm also curious to see Michigan's other receivers besides Roman Wilson and whether they can get separation. Because Ohio State in that matchup did not have Emeka Egbuka healthy. So it was Marvin Harrison Jr. and then it was everybody else. And as a spoiler for a couple weeks in the future, everybody else is just kind of a guy at the receiver room for Ohio State right now. Uh, Carnell Tate's a little young, and Fleming and Xavier Johnson are just kind of there. And so those guys, when they were matched up on Daquan Hardy and Johnny Dixon, there was no separation. Those guys were not a factor in that game at all. And so we get a sense to sort of see, is, is Cornelius Johnson a cut above that? Is uh, potentially Tyler Morris a cut above that. Can they get separation against Dixon and Hardy in a way that those Ohio State non-Harrison receivers couldn't? Well, and the other thing that really pops out to me is historically, Penn State defenses are not great about rush lanes under Manny Diaz. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> so one thing that Purdue Brian. did, <laughs> one thing that Purdue did well is they kept McCarthy contained in the pocket. He only had one rollout in this game where it was an improvisation that was complete and that was the uh, hit to Johnson towards the end of the first half everything else was in the pocket Penn State doesn't play like that Penn State everybody is is coming for you and if they get you they get you and it's, it's a hit diggers kind of defense the problem is <clears throat> for Penn State is if they get one guy around at 10 yards or around at nine yards and the rush lanes aren't set correctly. The, uh, I mean, JJ McCarthy is going to roll out, and he has been absolutely lethal in those circumstances this year. So, I mean, I just, I go back to last year's game where Manadia just got stuffed in a trash can. Possibly the biggest RPS win I've seen while charting Michigan. And that wasn't sign stuff, it was just Manny Diaz like being Rob Deere. He's yeah. just swinging for the fences on every play. And, <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be, but I just 
I feel like there's just going to be some issue where you're like, man, Manny Diaz is out over his skis because we has a huge talent advantage. The way he calls defenses is 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 lethal, but <clears throat> he's so aggressive that if you get an equal matchup and you get some playmakers, you know that defense is prone to give up big plays. And I it hasn't happened this year because they're so good, but I feel like Michigan is a team that can do that to them. I, I want to, yeah, and I'm sorry, sorry, Alex. I want to speak on that real quick, just because last year it was su- to such a degree that I think that we have to scale back expectations a little bit, just because there's there's no way you can get a guy that no, badly. You're right. Yeah, and they've fixed a lot of that by going to this man. Uh, one thing we didn't mention earlier, we were talking about, you know, you don't want to match Daquan Hardy against Colson Loveland. They'll play three safeties. They bring in Zachy Wheatley, who is, you know, a, a, a Wheatley family person um, to match up against two tight ends. So they ha- they can match personnel. I think they've scaled back a little bit of like the, you know, the, the over wildness. They're still a blitzy defense, but because they can play man, it's not as weird as the things they were trying to do last year. Alex? Yeah, what I was going to say on the Diaz point was, to me, the negative indicator of his coaching ability is just the fact that they left Kalen King on an island with Marvin Harrison Jr. so much. Like that, (laughs) just watching this game, I just don't know how you can devise a defense and let Marvin Harrison Jr. beat you on a day when Emeka Egbuka is not healthy. Like, I don't care. Give give safety help. Do anything. Make McCord throw to somebody else. And they didn't. And like, so I just came away from that game, even though the Penn State defense had a good showing, not impressed at all with the coaching and and the approach to that game. Well, and it's not like the Kalen King stuff was a secret. Like, he did not perform well in that game. But if you look at his pro football focus grades, like there just felt like there was this momentum about like, okay, Kalen King is one of the best corners in the country. But he hasn't played like that this year, and he's—they haven't adapted. And then the other well, thing that—go ahead. Let's say he was. Let's say he was playing really well this year. He's still five eleven. Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't he six two or something like that? And he's a leaper. Like, <clears throat> I, I mean, just not really a matchup that I think was ever going to be favorable. Because even if he's covering really well, you have that catch radius problem. And then the other thing that really jumps out as an unknown is what happens when the keeps are on for JJ McCarthy. Because last year, that destroyed Manny Diaz's defense. They should have given up two first-half touchdowns, but Michigan couldn't get the last guy blocked. And then in the second half, when they were paying attention to J.J. McCarthy's legs, you have the back-to-back touchdowns from Edwards and Corum, where it's clear that the threat of J.J. McCarthy keeping the ball makes both of those plays be explosives instead of 10 to 20 yards. So <clears throat> I have to figure that Manny Diaz has spent an awful lot of time over the past year figuring out what he's going to do when J.J. McCarthy keeps the ball. And I would expect that Michigan does try it early in this game, and I would expect that Penn State is sitting on it. Yeah, I, this this is a question I don't necessarily have an answer to because Ohio State, McCord is not really a, a runner. I mean, they don't they didn't really give him any opportunities to pull the ball. We did see those Devin Brown snaps in the red zone where they've started to use him in the sort of wildcat package, but that's different. <laughs> so I don't really have a great... Uh, example from that game of what's going to happen in that situation on the run defense point. I will say that uh, Zane Durant defensive tackle for Penn state. He's really taken a step forward. Looks like a pretty good player. The other defensive tackles still a little bit questionable to me. And so Ohio state didn't run the ball consistently against Penn state at all. And again, part of that is not having the QB run threat. Part of that is the fact Ohio state can't really run the ball against anybody on a consistent basis. So not the best sample comparison but when they did get their best runs it generally came with Durant off the field and either Hakeem Beeman Devon Ellis or Keziah Azar at defensive tackle and there were a couple snaps where Ohio State was just able to blow those guys five yards down the field so that could be an area for Michigan to exploit but even if you get that push up front they generally the linebackers are generally in the right spot they are pretty good at their run reads but if you introduce those JJ keeps there could be some opportunities, so we'll see on, on that front. Yeah, I wanted to mention How? the tackles real quick. I'm sorry to keep it popping in, but, like, I was talking to my Penn State buddies about the about this team and, like, what's going on with the tackles. They keep getting, like, top 250 guys or close to it who are, like, 280, and then they put them on the field and they're still 280. And Zane Duran is actually one of them, too. Now, he's slippery. He, like, he'll get upfield. But – Going into the season, we thought Michigan was going to be able to beat Penn State because they're going to just destroy their tackles. 
Thus far this season, everyone's been jamming the interior, and um, no one's really tried to just play straight up on the inside against Michigan. Everyone's just trying to shut down the run game. I wonder, especially if you got JJ Keeps on, to, you know, to hold them outside, if this is going to be a get-right game for the running backs because there's not the defensive tackles you want to see against Zach Zinner. Well, so one thing is when JJ Keeps are off and you're just focusing on duo, Michigan doesn't get to have those double teams, and they haven't had to ha- get they haven't been able to have them all year. But if you do have to spend a guy on McCarthy, then your front is lighter, and then you're asking guys to just win one-on-one. And other than Durant, Pro Football Focus doesn't think a whole lot of their front seven as run defenders, despite their excellent results. So, you know, the edges are in the 74 range, and they they like uh, a couple of the safeties and stuff, but Curtis Jacobs is a 55. You know, Beeman's a 67. Robinson's a 72. These guys are grading out decently. Like, they're not big holes Mm -hmm. but also when you're evaluating run defense it is impossible to disentangle the opponent from the grading right right? like right quarterback play is often independent it's not independent of the defense but a throw is a throw is a throw given the circumstances but when you are taking on a block and shedding a block the person blocking you is a major factor and so i wonder if michigan can put out Barner and put out Bredesen and see if those edges are really all that in the ground game. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting in that regard. You look at uh, this matchup and Michigan's going to be the first ostensibly good run def- uh, run offense that Penn State's played. They've only played a couple real offenses. And in those categories, you got uh, Maryland, <laughs> whose run offense needs no explanation after what they did in that matchup, and then Ohio State, whose run offense problems have been well documented. So we're going to learn a little bit about both teams, I think, in the in the run component of the game. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I think this is a very good defense, but it has kind of the same issues that Michigan has when it's about projecting your opponents. Like, they haven't really played anybody mm-hmm. except Ohio State. And, and Ohio State hit know. Marvin Harrison. Right, and that's all they had. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to get too cocky about this, but I do feel like Michigan is talented enough to be able to move the ball on this defense. Not 50 points, but not 15 either. Yeah, I think that's a a fair assessment, but we'll find out. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and talk about the other side of the ball. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. 
And if you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.9. We now turn our attention to the Penn State offense, a much less intimidating group of dudes than the Penn State defense. I think probably everybody listening to this podcast watched the Penn State-Ohio State game and just sort of marveled at the fact that Penn State is just Penn State again. So they have a couple of talented running backs. They have a highly rated quarterback. They have an offensive line that is simply not up to snuff in elite games. Well, you know who is up to snuff, Brian? Oh, Thank you. Our sponsors. We want to thank Underground Printing for starting this and making it possible. Stop by and pick up some gear. Check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the MGOblogstore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demers, Realtor and Lender, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by Forum, Winewood Organics, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Signal Wire, where we are recording this, and Tom Brady's new app, Autograph Rewarding Fans, where you reward earn rewards for things like reading MGO blog and listening to this very podcast. All right. So uh, I have just summarized the Penn state offense. Alex, what stands out to you? I would say (laughs) the difference in the offense between their performances against really good defenses and not really good defenses. You can look at this offense and they can play teams that are pretty bad and just torch them. And that's how, you have a unit that has the 21st SP plus rating and look like it did against Ohio state. You watch that game and you're like, this offense looks broken. This looks like Iowa, but with four and five star talent, but then you watch them against Maryland. You watch them against West Virginia, Delaware, UMass, and you sit there and you're like, wow, this is pretty good. And so it's really just a dividing line to me about the trenches and how the offensive line performs, because that's so key to the rest of the unit's performance in part because of Drew Aller, who is the first starting quarterback, not named Sean Clifford, to start against Michigan since 2018. So it's been a long time since we had somebody else. And When you were how old, Alex? (laughs) I was 19 back then. Um, So was I. (laughs) So Aller is, he's different than Clifford. He's not as mobile, not as scrambly. And in particular, as a pocket passer, The biggest thing for me when you watch his tape is the feet and whether his pocket is clean enough to let him set his feet because the most interesting snaps in the Ohio State game were not the ones where the pocket's falling apart and he's hit real quick. They're the ones where uh, JTT and Sawyer are bull rushing the tackles back into his lap and the pocket is slowly but uh, rapidly in, in the process kind of constricting. And what happens is he doesn't step up. He doesn't really have a great feel for the pocket. And he just stands there in his regular spot. And as he loses space, his ability to get off a good throw vanishes. And his feet just sit there like they're stuck in in cement. 
and he sails it off his back foot or just stands there really stiff and doesn't get an accurate delivery. And that's so, so big when you look at his outcomes. Yeah, I was reading your post and I got to that part and I was actually thinking about J.J. McCarthy against Purdue because he had a couple of incompletions in that game that were the same thing where, you know, the pocket's fine, but, you know, it's getting constricted and he resets, but he doesn't get his feet right. And that's a couple of the incompletions he had that were just whizzed behind guys. So Aller has that, but he has a much worse offensive line and he's not as veteran as McCarthy is at this point. So that problem is much worse. And then compounding things for Aller is that his receiving core has one guy in it. Yeah. Keandre Lambert Smith is a, he's a good player. I don't think he's a star. He's not Jahan Dotson level. And that's worth pointing out just in the grand scheme, but it's definitely an issue that it's really Lambert Smith and nobody else. He has more catches than number two and number three combined or about the same amount, something like that. And in this Ohio state game, that's just who they wanted to throw to on every single snap. That was the only thing they were looking for. And the other guys could not get open, just no separation at all. And Ohio state secondary was banged up in that game. Denzel Burke didn't play. They had a true freshman corner out there for a lot of the day. And that guy was just locking these receivers up. You had uh, Liam Clifford, Sean's brother, playing a fair number of snaps. Yeah. (laughs) That dude was was terrible. Sean's brother is basically what he is. He's just like, (laughs) yeah, he is like the the guy you brought in because he was your quarterback's brother. We had a Nittany Lion guy in the comments basically like, this dude's a Mac player if he's not related to to Sean Clifford. And he was playing significant snaps against Ohio State. And then you look at their transfers, Malik McLean from Florida State, Dante Cephas from Kent State. Neither guy has made any. Yeah. (laughs) And neither guy's made any real impact. And then you have their tight end position, which they're using more because the wide receivers suck. And it's not really any better. They're having to line up Theo Johnson in the slot quite often, playing with two tight ends. And Theo Johnson made zero impact in that game. It wasn't noticeable whatsoever. And they're throwing to Tyler Warren. They're blocking tight end way more than they ever have in the past for the same reason. There's just not a lot of answers here. And so it kind of feels like Michigan, with Will Johnson starting to find his groove, is a defense that's really built to, to hurt this team because you can put Will Johnson on Kendra Lambert-Smith and feel really good about that matchup because Lambert-Smith is not Marvin Harrison Jr. And then what does Penn State have after that? I don't know. Like maybe they're able to get something going against Josh Wallace or if Josh Wallace isn't playing because of the injury, whatever happens there, maybe that's an answer. But otherwise, they had nothing going against Ohio State outside of that. And then when it comes to the ground game, it feels similar you mentioned that penn state has this sort of cliff that they go off once they their offensive line gets overwhelmed and with katron allen and nicholas singleton those guys both kind of feel donovan edwards ish in Hmm. that they aren't backfield magicians who are gonna turn a minus two into a plus four but if you give them a lane they will hit it and they will hit it fast. They're both great athletes. They both have an, a, a very good uh, size and speed combination, but they need blocking. They're not guys who are going to ghost out of tackles on a regular basis. Yeah, that was something that stood out to me on the tape from last year when over the summer we watched the Penn State game. You never saw those guys make a guy miss or break a tackle, and it's kind of the same story This season, I think certainly more so for Singleton, where there's been a lot of chatter in Penn State circles about him as a Donovan Edwards sort of, does he have the instincts to be a runner? Allen, I think, is a little more instinctual, but yeah, not really a guy that is super slippery and and can make something out of nothing. And the problem for Penn State's offensive line this year is there's really a big difference between their pass blocking and their run blocking. Their pass blocking has been pretty solid this year. It had a lot of issues against Ohio State, but against a lot of teams have been real nice. Like those clips against Maryland were awesome. <laughs> Aller sitting in there enough time to make a picnic in the backfield. No real pressure at all. But from the run blocking component, it has been kind of subpar against every team, not just uh, the, the, we, the, the good teams they've played, which is only a few, but like even Olu Fashanu, their left tackle, that's got all the NFL hype. 
there's a huge gap between his pass block grades and his run block grades on, on PFF. And there are other players on this line just not really making much of an impact in that phase of the game. And Allen and Singleton's yards per carry clips are down almost two full yards from last season. And I think a big part of that is that there's no run threat anymore from the quarterback position. Yeah, that's that's another thing what we should address is that last year Michigan did not really get after Sean Clifford because the most dangerous part of the Penn State offense was Sean Clifford after he left the pocket. And that is not something you have to concern yourself with Drew Aller because he's he doesn't have the speed and as soon as he's off platform his uh his accuracy goes to hell. Like Pro Football Focus breaks it down uh, has pressure not pressured splits. Aller's completing 70% of his passes when he's kept clean and 39% when he's pressured. Oof. Now, the good news is that his yards per attempt only drops half a yard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's yeah, going to read for a while and then dink it? <laughs> well, this is a dink and dunk offense. Mm-hmm. Aller is 122nd in America in air yards per attempt. So you're going to be in third and medium a lot. And Aller having his efficiency, his completion percentage drop off a cliff when he gets pressured means that it's going to be really hard for you to drive the field because, you, all right, you got third and five, you got pressure, you got it that one time. Next third and five, it's the same deal. So you got a 16% chance to complete those if you're getting pressure on both those. And I think that's likely that you will be. So I've, I'm almost done with this preview and I feel, I feel bad because. I usually stick with the the the, the line mm-hmm. when I do a prediction. I'm usually pretty close to the line because I don't want to be arrogant about this. But I simply struggle to see how Penn State is going to move the ball at all in this game. It's hard to see a lot of avenues if we think Michigan is what they are. For me, the only bit of an uncertainty in this matchup is the fact that Mich- this is the first real team Michigan's played. And I don't know. Maybe Michigan is bad. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like outside of not having a baseline for Michigan, if we assume that Michigan is as good or better than Ohio State, I don't see how Penn State's moving the ball because they could not do anything against uh, Ohio State. It it was a really poor showing. You can kind of assemble Um, a Franken offense from like teams that Michigan's played, right? So like they played a couple teams that have, you know, some decent interior linemen but terrible tackles, or you played some teams that have some okay tackles. You can kind of reassemble and see how they've done against these teams. But But to your point, Brian, why why go off the spread here? Because Penn State, the way that they operate is if you don't have the guys, you have to rush them, right? Don Brown, UMass, they did not have the dudes. They had to, to blitz him, and they did not have the guys to stick with it. And, you know, as long as you pick up the blitz, Drew can sit back there and be comfortable. But last year we saw – now he was a true freshman. But last year we saw him come in against Michigan. And what did Michigan do? They started immediately blitzing Michael Barrett and – they they couldn't move the ball at all. Like we had to mosh rush Clifford because you're worried about him escaping the pocket, and that really cut off what Michigan wants to do on defense. This kind of plays into what Michigan wants to do on defense. Yeah, yeah I, I just go ahead. Yeah, I, one thing about uh, Aller as well, just to to point out there, he's not really going to sc- scramble or ever pull the ball and even if he does he's got about four and a half non-sack carries per per uh, game this season i'd say about half our scrambles half for kiwi draws even when he moves he's really slow just like not an athletic guy at all it's not hard to see michael barrett chasing him down in space so i'm all for just going after uh him in the pocket and throwing blitzes especially because Jim Knowles is pretty crafty with his blitzes. He sent a lot of different disguised pressures. They did a lot of stunts. All the sorts of things that reflect coaching at the offensive line level, Penn State struggled with. There, 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 wasn't, there wasn't a lot of plays where Ohio State was just beating alignment clean. It was, oh, a guy's coming in this gap, and you didn't know he was coming there. And they had no idea he was coming. I'm... The stunts were a big, big problem. Like, there was definitely some 2017 Michigan OL stuff going on. So uh, it is, be, be it crafty, is just, that kind of thing. It is just wild how Penn State has the same offensive line every year. Well, like it, this, it's been this since James Franklin arrived. 
They've I'm, never had a good offensive line. I'm laughing because I got to go on the field last week, and I got like my first little bit of recruiting insider info where I was talking with a father of an offensive line uh, recruit, and he was saying like Penn State just does not develop their linemen. Like we looked at them, we talked to them, and like it's you don't go anywhere. And he said his kid, and I'm not going to say who it is, but like his kid who's already committed to Michigan is like already stronger than Fashanu. Like they, <laughs> how do they know that? Because oh, they don't. Because they do they, they arm wrestle on an official. No, no, no. They, they watch how they that. set and they watch how you like you know how they're what the pop looks like when he when he extends his arms and you have testing on all these guys. They they all go to like the you know camps with each other and they the kids go to Penn State camps and like actually work out with the other players. Like that's what happens all summer. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brief special teams overview. Their kicker's very good. 16 to 13 on the season. Two misses from 50 plus. Their punt team is ranked number one in FEI. I don't understand why. They're fourth in net punting. They're pretty good. They have two uh, punt return touchdowns from Hardy, but those were both against UMass. I, I don't really expect a whole lot of fireworks there. So, you know, they, they have solid special teams. Nothing special, I would say. Uh, and then the other thing... Uh, Bill Connolly posted an article. Penn State is number one in turnover rate this year, which is usually a bad sign because it, you're overperforming your underlying metrics. They're also number one in expected turnover rate. So the way Michigan loses this game is pretty simple turnovers. Mm-hmm. That said, predictions, Seth. Uh, 42 to 0.27. Alex. Uh, 27 13. I think I got 30 to nine, which is a real, I just don't, I don't, they're going to, I don't know how they're going to get to 300 yards of offense. I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get to 200. So I feel, I, I hate it when I get out over my skis where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to seriously devolt, diverge from the Vegas line, but that's how I see it. All right. We're going to take a break, come back and talk a little basketball. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach. And it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. Here's a thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at PhilKleinInsurance.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. 
They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at WinewoodOrganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. Back to MGO Radio 9.9. Michigan kicked off its basketball season with a 25 point win over UNC Asheville. <clears throat> and before you dismiss UNC Asheville, Ken Palm actually had them in around 150th before the game, which is very good for a low major. They made the NCAA tournament last year, they returned four of their starters. Uh, unfortunately for UNC Asheville, Drew Pember, their best player, only got 21 minutes because of foul trouble. Uh, <clears throat> but from a Michigan perspective, that went about as well as could be hoped. I, I like this. I mean, between this game and the, uh, the, you know, the exhibition game, Michigan is scoring, which is not something we thought we were going to see out of this team very much. And, I, you know, some of it's just the balls going in. But, yeah. like, I mean, Damari Burnett seems to have a pretty decent shot. We were not expecting a lot to come from him offensively. And Doug is just seeing the floor really well. Well, I mean, Burnett was actually mostly an outside shooter at Alabama last year, hit 32% on 84 threes, and that was while he was battling through a wrist injury. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's got some upside as as a three-point shooter. And uh, not only the exhibition, but the secret scrimmage against Marquette, Michigan put up 115 in a 48 minute game. Right. So, and that's against a team that's a high major that's in the top 10 of the polls. I feel like some of this stuff is not sustainable. Doug McDaniel is not going to go five or six from too many nights, <laughs> but McDaniel looked like you want him to look, you want that point guard. Who's going from a freshman to a sophomore to have a leap. And he had a leap. Eight assists, two turnovers, four or nine from three, five or six from two. Looked like the part of a guy who can drive the offense. And that's what Michigan needs because nobody else on this team, except maybe Kamwa, is capable of driving offense. So I thought that was an excellent development. And then Kamwa fitting into this team absolutely seamlessly. He's been named a captain. He is a huge defensive upgrade for whoever he replaces. And that's true of Burnett as well, a huge defensive upgrade. This team is now very large. So McDaniel is small, but the rest of the rotation, other than Washington at six foot two, everybody's six four or taller. The main guy off the bench, Trey Jackson, is six ten. Mm-hmm. They're long. They're much more diverse defensively. We didn't see very much drop coverage at all in this game. We saw uh, Terrace Reed hedge recover. They were switching. It looks like they are going to make a quantum leap defensively. And in the future, when Michigan gets a one and done, I want it to be a fifth-year senior from yes. one of the best defensive teams in America. <laughs> that seems like a much better idea than a freshman. Even a wing from Seton Hall is a better idea than some of the freshmen we've had lately. Because, I mean, imagine Trey Jackson, the Trey Jackson that we've just seen so far, instead of you know Caleb Houston, or even instead of Jet. Right, like that, he he he's a very long defender. He gets to the basket a little bit. He he's not a center, but he's got a little bit of post move from having to play it before. And the, like like he when he gets on the court, he makes a difference. And it, anything that you've done to adjust to what Michigan's doing goes out the window as soon as you bring him in as well. Yeah, and then Terrence Williams felt like a guy who fits better into the team. He's lost weight. He seems more like a three than a four this year. Uh, he hit some threes, and that's just really just going to be the key for him, right? Like, can he actually knock down shots? And in both of these games, he has. Mm-hmm. Even Cheddar, who was absolutely a disaster last year from three, hits goes two or two. On, and he's a guy who is supposed to be a shooter. He was brought in as a guy who was a great shooter and just hadn't been able to show that. And I think sometimes it's nerves. You need to settle in. <clears throat> need to actually 
get in a rhythm you like and that sometimes takes time what is not uncommon is you see guys who are reputed to be shooters get scattered minutes as a freshman or a sophomore and they just look completely awful and then the next year it's like okay i'm fine again and i'm <clears throat> hoping that that's what cheddar can do because this team needs bench options because mm-hmm. you have trey jackson who's going to come off the bench and then washington is a true freshman who you don't really know what to expect from he's obviously too sped up in this game who else yeah, and I if, mean, if Cheddar, Yo-Yo comes along, maybe like that's that's your only other he option. Looked, he looked a long way off in his minutes. I don't know if he's a little banged up, but he didn't play a whole lot and looked a little iffy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a next year thing for him. He does look jacked this year, which is a big difference from last year. Camp mm-hmm. Sanderson uh, has has done good work with him. And then the other major issue is that when Doug McDaniel was on the bench in this game and Namari Burnett was running the nominal point. That looked like something that was just not going to work. Yeah. Well, that's he's... where you need to get Jalen Llewellyn healthy at some point. Yeah. I mean, Llewellyn is a guy who is weirdly crucial for this team because they need another guard. Hmm. And we don't know what you're going to get from Llewellyn. You know, he tra- he up transfers from Princeton. He has a terrible shooting start to the season, but does look like a functional ball handler. Then he goes down with an ACL tear. You don't know when you're going to get him back. You don't know if he's going to be 100% when you do get him back. But they just need someone to be available for 10 minutes a game to to spell Doug. Yeah. And <clears throat> one thing that Doug cannot do ever is get in foul trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. we're people who are listening to this after the Youngstown State game because they've got kind of one of those um, those burly guards, point guard. Um I guess they used two of them, but like there's Penn State had that guy last year too. Like that's the only kind of team that I think is going to be a little difficult for Michigan, where if Doug has to do a lot of the defensive work, um, but I mean you can put Namari on uh, on yeah. a guy like that. Like you can you can change up defensively to not make him a thing, and that's what this team has that last year's team did not. Last year you just had no more options defensively, and you just ended up if you wanted to put a Cheddar out there. And Cheddar actually played, I think, more minutes than yeah. He played more minutes than Terrence Reed. He played more minutes than Trey Jackson. He played more minutes than Namari. Um, if you're going to have him out there, you have to have athletes around him so that he's not, you know, so he's protected, right? And last year he was just absolutely exposed every time that they had him out there because no one else could switch for him. No one else could take things on. Now you have guys who can do that. You can use a guy like him or Terrence Williams to a lesser degree. Yeah, it's kind of like Hunter when Hunter was a sophomore and a freshman. Mm-hmm. So he's not a great individual defender. He's a good post defender, but in terms of a team concept, it doesn't really work out. But when you have Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers, right, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you can usually hide maybe one guy at a time to some extent on defense and I think we'll have to see because Cheddar looked absolutely horrible in the exhibition. Like he looked like a D2 player in uh-huh. the exhibition. And then he comes off the bench against Asheville and he actually chips in, does some good stuff, takes a charge, does all the like annoying, stereotypical white boy stuff uh, <laughs> that you do in a basketball game. And that's what he needs to do, yeah, right? He's, he he's a Wisconsin like... gross, you know, yeah. four. Yeah. I mean, and so that's, yeah. that's who he needs to be. But. Really good start for the basketball team. They're taking on uh, Youngstown State Penguins tonight. Jim <laughs> and then Monday they get St. John's, which will be very interesting. That will be, I think, a uh, an opportunity. That's Rick Pitino, right? It's Rick Pitino and a bunch of transfers, so you don't really know what you're getting from St. John's. But uh, that will be sort of the first measuring stick for Michigan, where they can be like, okay, this year is not going to be last year. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back, talk about what we saw in the UFRs. Maize and Blue Nation, it's Tom Brady. I co-founded Autograph with one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? 
You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately $100,000. It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.9. One last look back at the Purdue game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, Thanks to Chirp, I did by the my way, grading. for the music. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did my grading, and I came out, and you sometimes you like, you're like putting your hash marks in, and, and you're like, oh. And then you put it in the chart, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and this was one of those days because J.J. McCarthy came out looking basically – like he has all season, you know, I had four INs for him and that was it. So he had a plus 21 and I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go back and justify all this. And I, I thought I did. Now your mileage may vary on some of the passes that were incomplete, but stuff like Roman Wilson, not catching a pass that's at his knees to me, that's still in the CA mm-hmm. department. You could move it to an MA if you wanted to, but there were, four or five of those throws in the game. And even if you think that my grading was too harsh and you want to move those down a category, that doesn't really change the overall tenor of what happened in that game. So I think we're very spoiled as Michigan fans uh, with JJ McCarthy. So it kind of felt like he was off, but when you go and you actually look at every single thing that happened and you put it in a chart, it kind of feels like it was just another JJ McCarthy game. So if you had concerns there, I wouldn't have concerns. Where I would have concern is the offensive line. Yeah. Um, so I ended up with 12 pass protection minuses between the two tackles. And I did not have a great grade for them on the ground. Mm-hmm. So this is a team that has probably the best pair of defensive ends Michigan is going to face all season when you take both ground and air a pass and a run into account. Mm. Like they've actually faced the top five 
defensive tackles who don't play for, defensive ends who don't play for Michigan and number eight okay. so far this year in the Big Ten. And then Chop Robinson is like six and Sawyer is seven and JTT is nine. So it's not like there's some demon at the end of the schedule who's going to do better than this against Michigan's tackles. You know, they've already played the best pass rushers they're going to play. But 37 attempts, 72% pass block grade, not quite what you want. You want you want that at 80%. Yeah. So a little bit of a concern there. And then they did not do well with all the defensive tackles being on the field. Um, and I don't really know what to make of that. But well, I, I mean, I figure this team was built to run the ball, and like you know, even, like, like Ladarius Henderson is you know literally a guard that we turned into a tackle, right? Carson Barnhart is a swingman, right? He's still not like you know, he was not built to be an offensive tackle. This is a team that was built for running the ball, and that worked great when 2021-22-2, Michigan's main offensive threat is running the ball. But what was happening in this game? Purdue was stacking the line of scrimmage with five guys. They're bringing five guys every single time. They're forcing you to throw the ball, and Michigan responds, which I think is correct, by being a pass-first team. But if you're going to be a pass-first team and you have an offensive line that was recruited to run block, you're probably going to have some issues with you know just man-on-man pass protection. I mean, I guess yes and no. Like, if you have Jake Long, you're fine, right? Yeah, well, but neither of these. Are Jake <laughs> no, they're not Jake Long. They're not. They're not bad, but also, I don't. I'd be surprised if Barnhart got drafted. I'm not. Maybe, maybe late. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But these guys are both. If they have an NFL career, they're probably both going to be guards. Yeah, and so that's a little bit of a concern. I wouldn't say it was a big one, but you know, main takeaways were. JJ did what JJ does. Colston Loveland had a little bit of a rough game on the ground. I think I misattributed uh, mis misattributed uh, minus two on the crack sweep to him when it was actually Barner. Sorry oh. about that. But he almost brought in one of those uh, ins from McCarthy where it was whipped wide. He makes the catch. He yeah. spears it with <laughs> it in, and then the cornerback rakes it out. I was like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loveland personally, but I think sometimes we forget that back shoulder catches are difficult because Colson Loveland makes them look so simple. So the back shoulder catch that he had on the wheel route was the easiest thing all day, but that's, that's a difficult thing, especially for a tight end to do. And we, we need to appreciate that more. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, the fact that he can do that means you cannot cover him with a cornerback. And I thought one of the interesting games going on here is because Purdue is so extremely man-intensive is how they did the matchups. Now, the Edwards, I thought you were going to no- uh, notice this, that, that um, they got Purdue got caught with the wrong personnel on the field. And then a linebacker is like, what do you mean I'm on Edwards? You never have me on Edwards. The plan is not to have me on Edwards. So like they, I think that was just a bust by Purdue or, or personnel bust by Purdue because they put a safety well, yeah, they didn't, the whole game. Yeah, they did. But even so... You gotta test that, right? Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like we haven't had Donovan Edwards run an angle route all year, and I'm maybe they're just saving it. But I feel like he could be used more. And one thing that you know you did, I'm not too concerned about the ground game because JJ keeps were off, and every time they ran a constraint play, it was just open by miles. So the Morgan end around was just over as soon as the ball was snapped, right? Because the play side linebacker, the play side defensive end, had absolutely no thought that it might actually be a jet sweep. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. if that's the way you want to play it, that's fine because you're playing the Rutgers game, right? Mm-hmm. Where Michigan plays Rutgers, and Rutgers is like, okay, I know the quarterback isn't going to keep the ball, so this is what we're going to do. That so doesn't really matter when you get to Penn State and, and everything's on the table. Uh, defensively, what did you see? Uh, basically the Rutgers game. I mean, it was, you know, Purdue came in with a lot of things that they were trying to, they were trying to be interesting. This is like the game they were saving. And, um, Michigan had an answer for their stretch zone by adding a a guy to the line of scrimmage. So sometimes it'd be a a weak side linebacker blitz. They blitz Barrett a lot in this game, or they would just take the nickel and bring him off the edge. Um, And I think that they had a, they might've had a swing call, which is like, you know, depending on where the receivers are, which one of those guys blitzes and just kind of, you see how they line up and then one guy's blitzing or the other, but it was the same idea. The idea was to make a bigger line of scrimmage and, 
Purdue had an answer for that. They were going to use power stuff and then just have somebody on the backside. It's just Michigan has so many weapons that even when you have a hat for a hat, Michigan has five guys in the in the box. Purdue has five blockers and a running back. And Michigan's still winning most of these plays because let's say Graham beats a guy. It's over. Let's say Colson sees what he's supposed to do and gets there faster. It's over. If Barrett, you know, jumps around a guy, it's over. If Derek Moore, Braden McGregor crashes in on your puller and, you know, constricts the – there's it's over. And, like, they got one run where – I, I think all three of those things happen, and the guy tries to bounce outside. They get an uncalled hold, and it's still roped down because Will Johnson is out there, and he's going to like beat a block and rope you down. There's just so well, many ways you can win. Let's talk about Will Johnson then, because I appreciate the fact that Purdue actually tried to play offense in this game. Yes. So we <laughs> saw targets downfield that we really hadn't seen all season, and Will Johnson was fairly prominent in this game. How did you grade him out? Better than you think. Better than even it looked because obviously we saw, you know, he has a couple PBUs. There's a couple times where, like, Card just has the – like, he, he <clears throat> turns around. He's running around in the backfield. You think this guy's just going to throw it away. And he throws it, and there's actually a receiver there. And then there's actually a Will Johnson on this, like, 15-yard comeback route where the guy was running full speed to try to get back to the ball, and Johnson's over it and knocks it out. And then there's another play, the the one sack that Michigan finally got in this game. Card had an outlet to throw it to every single time. They had him planned into the offense. He goes to throw this one, and he has to hitch up because Johnson is about to pick six this thing. He is just everywhere. And there's another play, you know, like you, how many times have you seen like a man-on-man dig with no help inside, and... You know, the guy turns and say he goes off screen and comes back on screen and like the receiver is a yard or two behind him because it's really hard when a guy turns inside and you're trying to defend high to stay on top of him. And that's the Johnson interception. He just steps in front of him. So he, this he's playing at the level that we were projecting him to play before the injury. And we saw a little bit from Rodmore that was obvious there was the pass breakup. I mean, did we? Did you get anything more, or is it just no. kind of like I, Michigan no. safeties are yeah, so? I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I was talking about them defending the box with five guys, and so the safeties are never involved with the run. McCurry Page is actually more involved because sometimes they will bend things and get outside and try to, you know, and try to try that edge. And when that happens, McCurry Page comes down, or Josh Wallace will come down. He had a uh, a couple plays in this game where it was just like. You know, he was not known as a run defender. He's not a great tackler in space, but he's good at, you know, just fending off somebody trying to um, get around him and getting hit, getting the ball to the spot where his friends can help. And you saw Purdue try to get around him one time. He tries to stiff arm him. He kind of holds onto the guy's elbow and uses that to swing himself outside. And then he's dead. And he's, he's stuck in the backfield. So Wallace really Arr. differentiated himself. All right, let's wrap it up. I got to finish the preview. <laughs> okay. Oh, I just wanted to say, after Wallace, we're really in trouble with, with cornerback. There's um, we're we well, saw yeah. Waller. We saw Walk. The last drive was all on Amore and Walker. Yeah, but you know, yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> all right, are you going to basketball right, or hockey guys. tonight, man? Hot. Yeah, it's fine. All right. All right, I'll see you. All right, see you guys. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, makes it all night long. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, singing this crazy song. La da 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 da